This is Adeptus Podcasts, a podcast devoted to Warmer 40,000 Conquest, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Hosted by Matt, Nate, and Charles. You can reach us on our Facebook page or by emailing us at adeptuspodcasts at gmail.com. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 12 of Adeptus Podcasts. Uh, this week joining me is Nate. Charles unfortunately had a last minute uh, commitment come up, so he was not able to join us now. How's everything over in the great UK? Yeah, everything's good. Everything's good, thank you. Awesome. How's the weather? Um, dreary as usual. <laughs> and the weather in Florida today is sunny. Just in case yeah, I'm you sure. know, we're not... I-, I won't miss Charles rubbing in how good his weather is. Oh. <laughs> He does also have to deal with hurricanes, so I guess it kind of you know bounces out. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty dreary here too. We've had rain for like the last six days straight. My yard looks like a Scottish moor, so it's not too much fun. All right, but enough about the weather. This week, we're of course going to discuss the the recent amount of news we've gotten. As well, we're going to cover a deck from a tournament that was held recently, and then we're probably going to look at uh, building a deck on the air. Uh, I'll just be myself and Nate this week, so we're, we, we were going to do the, the Tau, but we both decided that without Charles here, we just didn't want to do the Tau, because we kind of felt guilty not doing it without our resident Tau fanboy himself present, so we'll do the Tau another time down the road. All right. <laughs> so jump right into the news. Good news, everyone! The biggest piece of news we got in the last weeks is the tournament rules were officially released. I know some people were getting a bit anxious for these with Worlds coming up very soon. We're now two weeks away from Worlds, a little bit less if you consider when they actually start. So the tournament rules is it's only a seven-page document, which is fine. It's pretty much standard size. Most of this is pretty standard for card gaming in general, and especially FFG. Like A lot of this stuff is common to all their rules, so you, know, you got something about card sleeves and deck size and shuffling and mulligans and all that stuff. Mulligan, I know there was a question about this a few months ago, I guess now, about what the order of mulliganing, it's decided by initiative. So the player who has initiative decides first, and then the player without initiative. So it's pretty much exactly what we all expected. But getting into the meat of it, so how a tournament for Conquest is going to be run is it's going to be standard Swiss round seating. Uh, Swiss round is basically just you play based on your points. Uh, First round, of course, is random. Uh, you play a number of rounds based on the number of players present. Uh, there can also be a championship round. The the time limits involved are going to be 45 to 65 minutes. Uh, the standard will be 55 minutes, but you can adjust it down or up uh, depending upon the TO. Uh, I, I would think 55 minutes is more than enough to run a, a round. What do you think, Nate? Um... I know there were some complaints on the forums um, when this first came out, saying this may not be long enough. But I think as players um, get more comfortable with decks uh, and their playstyle and learning more about their decks, it, it, it won't be such a problem. So I, I think that's more than sufficient enough to get a game finished. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, I'd just like to put on that the, the final game in a championship bracket is untimed as well. So there's no um, timing on the final game, which I suppose they sort of need to put in there. But Yeah, that does make sense with the championship bracket not being timed, uh, that, that, and that's pretty normal for most card games, including FFG games. 
So the way that the rounds are going to work is going to be a single game played per round, um, and you're going to get points based on how the match is determined. So if you if one player Fallout wins, you get five points. If it's a modified match win, uh, you get four points. If it's a draw, so neither player is able to win even with the extension of time, it's two points. If you've got a modified match lost, you get one point. And if you just flat out use, lose, you get zero points. So pretty simple system, I think. Uh, the modified match win and match loss comes in if you reach the time. So this is only relevant if you 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 know you reach the time limit. And you know, like Nate and I both said, I don't think that's going to be an issue for most people, especially as we get used to playing tournaments and stuff. So what happens is uh, when you reach time, you continue the game through the end of the current game round, and then you compare the planet cards in your victory display. So the player who has the most total planets in the victory display earns the modified match win, and the opponent gets the modified match loss. If you both have the same number of planets, you then compare the total number of planet type symbols. So you know the, the blue, red, and green symbols are on all the cards. Whoever then has the most of those gets the modified match win, and the other player gets modified match loss. Now, if somehow the number of planets you have, the number of planet type symbols you have are tied, uh, the matches scored us a draw, and you both get two points each. I, I can't see you getting through all that and still being tied, but it's it's possible and it's going to happen You know, once you play a certain number of games as a you know, law of averages, but not very often that that would be relevant in my opinion. Yeah, I can't see that happening too often. And then it just mentions, like we said, you know, the championship round is not tied. Um, if you're having a uh, a tournament and at the end of the number of rounds the the top, I'm oh, sorry, the points are tied, not the ties are tied. Um, you have to look at the uh, the, the total per- tournament point scores, and the, if one of the players who's in the tied group, so like let's say it's myself, Nate, and Charles, we're all tied to you know get first or second or whatever. It would then come down to if one of the three of us has beat the other two in that group. So let's say Nate beat both myself and Charles when we played, and then we just ended up having the same points anyway. Nate would then break the tie. If that ends up still being tied, you then go to what's called strength of schedule. And that's just calculated based on adding all the points of each of the tied player's opponents. So you would take everyone that I played, add up all of their points, take everyone that Nate played, add up all their points, take everyone that Charles played, and add up all their points, and then that would break the tie. It shouldn't be tied after both of those, I would think. And then you would just move on to the championship rounds. Championship rounds are pretty standard, same as any other tournament. You know, uh, you just play based on, a, you know, it's, it's just like in standard, I don't know, hockey is what I'm going to compare it to, because that's one I'm most familiar with when it comes to real-world tournaments is, you know, Stanley Cup hockey play. So, you know, first would play fourth if it was a top four, and second would play third if it was a top eight to be first plays eight, and so on. So, you know, this is all very standard for FFG games as well as other card games, but, you know, just in case some of you aren't familiar, you know, this is your first game where you're going to be kind of breaking into the world of organized play. That's why we're kind of going over all this stuff. So, you know, for those of you who already know all this, we apologize. That probably seems rather redundant for some of you. And then after that, we just got, you know, the, the normal nail stuff with the code of conduct, you know, in regards to cheating and sleight of hand tricks and misrepresentation on sportsmanlike conduct and, you know, the TL's authority and all that stuff, you know, all the stuff that 
has to be there, unfortunately, because there are people who, I don't know if you want to say want to break the rules, but will break the rules. And this just kind of helps the TO have some authority to, you know, kind of curb that kind of stuff. Most of the time, I don't really see this being relevant. I've, I've never had a time when we kind of need to be worried about this in playing any of the FFG card games. Uh, I've, I've seen other games played of FG games where it has been relevant, but none of the games that I've personally been involved in. Uh, Nate, any last minute thoughts on the tournament rules? <clears throat> no, I think it's just um, the only thing that need to clarify that's not similar to other FFG rules is just the times and how the um, how ties are broken, and that's pretty much the only thing that's different from any of the other FFG games, which is what we expected, really. So. Yeah, I think it seems all pretty straightforward to me too. Um, one thing to note at the end, there, there's a, like there's a special note in regards to the 2014 World Championship weekend. It notes that although it may be released before or during the event, the Howl Black Mean War Pack expansion will not be legal for the World Championship. So, people who go to Worlds, you might have a chance of getting the pack, which has Ragnar and his command squad, or sorry, signature squad, but you won't be able to use it for that tournament. You will be able to use it, though, for the winter tournament that they're planning on having at Worlds after the actual main Worlds event, so you'll be able to at least use them for that. So, I think that's a good clue that we should expect to see either the pack release or release early for those of you who get to go to world so you can all pick it up there and stuff. So that's that's good to know that we should be seeing the first pack very shortly. All right, so the next thing, like I said, we want to talk about in regards to nudes is a, a deck from a tournament over in uh, Nate's part of the world. Uh, it was at in... Nate, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but I'll try. Stoke on Trent? Yep, spot on. Okay, and that's uh, the where uh, Guys That Game Store is located. And they had a tournament there uh, a couple weeks. Uh, this was back on October the 12th, so yeah, a couple weeks ago now. And they had uh, 10 players. You know, good turnout for what was basically an opening tournament because, I mean, that wasn't too long after you guys got the product, I believe. Yeah, it was, it's meant to be a sort of release event. Cool. All right, so they had uh, a breakdown of number of players was two Space Marines, four Dark Eldar, two Chaos, one Orc, and one Tau. Uh, it's interesting to note that there was no Eldar or Astra Militarum, but that doesn't mean those cards weren't involved. It's just they weren't the primary, as in the Warlord. Uh, the number of Dark Eldar I find particularly interesting. All right, so the... Uh, Eddie himself is a um, keen Eldar, uh, Dark Eldar enthusiast, so I think they might, that might have had some um, some influence on the number of Dark Eldar. And Eddie is the store's owner. Yeah, yeah, he's a store owner, and usually the tier of all the uh, all the things that are run there between him and Steve. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we got a copy of the winning deck list. Uh, this is posted over on TeamSandcrawler.net. Uh, it's a couple posts down now, but you can find it in their Warmer 40,000 Conquest section. So the winning list consists of a uh, Space Marine deck, uh, winning, of course, Cato Sakaris and his signature squad. No surprise there. Uh, it's a 50-card deck, so they stayed to the minimum. Uh, again, not, I'm not really surprised by that fact. So outside of the signature squad, um, I think they kind of got some of the signature stuff mixed in here too. So for army units, they had 29 units, uh, including, of course, the four 
chosen. Uh, three Blood Angel veterans. I'm not at all surprised with that. I love those guys. Oh, Nate's favorite card, three Eager Recruit. Woohoo! <laughs> um, so his ally of choice was the uh, Astro Tarm because he's got three Elysian Assault teams. He's got three. Which is, which is basically Eager Recruit, uh, Recruit Light, so I'm okay with that as well. Yeah, I can definitely see the relevance there. Uh, three Honored Librarian, great choice. Uh, hands down, one of the best basement units. Three Iron Hand Tech Marines, uh, a card I flip-flop back and forth on with my opinion. Three Sanctioned Psychers, three Tactical Squad Cardenas, one copy of Veteran Brother Maxos, which is the Space Marine Unique, and three Tenth Company Scouts. Overall, he kept the unit cost very low, I find. like I think his most expensive unit here is the Honored Librarian, if I'm not mistaken, but cost of four. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, it, go- it goes on to like it goes uh, on to later say during the comments that this was to get the most out of um, drop pod assaults. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That makes sense. So uh, I can see, you know, f- for the type of deck he was running, I can see why he was trying to keep his count, uh, and also that gives you a really good curve across what he wants to do because uh, some of those units, like the Elysian assault team, are coming in for free as well. So it's really. It gets bodies where you need to be getting them, basically. Yeah, definitely. So for attachments, you only had three. Of course, there was a Talisarian Tempest play that comes with Cato himself. And then two copies of Promotion. The two copies of Promotion, I kind of question, because it just... I don't know if he really needed it. I guess it would help push him over in case he needed it to like win a command struggle. But overall, he seems to have a lot of pretty good command units to me. So I'm, I'm wondering how much use he got of that maybe and you know if he kind of reconsidered it afterwards um I, I can see it gives you there's other benefits obviously other than um just giving you those command icons it's also another um sort of shield card well it's a shield card for one it's um it's protection from uh, aoe out of chaos from uh, the warp storm uh, it's also another like I don't want to say delaying tactic that's wrong but it's another deploy phase action you can deploy before you play a unit that's true that is a good point I, I like doing that myself when I'm playing you know deploy something that's like a you know like one of the, the support cards that makes the next card cost one less or like I said something like promotion just to kind of I think delay is a good way of putting it you know you're delaying playing your your unit that you just to make your opponent play more stuff so I can see that relevance definitely there. All right, so we've got 10 event cards. Uh, the cards are Fear of Securius, uh, three copies of Drop Pod Assault, which, as Nate said, was kind of a, a focus around the deck, and that's why the units are the cost here. Two copies of Exterminatus, good choice, you know, taken two. That way the, the threat's there, but not so many that you kind of got sitting in your hand. And three copies of Indomitable, which is an awesome card for Space Marines. Uh, supports, we've got Kato's Stronghold from the Signature Squad. Three Catechan Outposts, um, which gives you a nice boost for your units. It's an Astro Melkarn card. One copy of the Fortress Monastery, which is their unique um, cost reducer. And then three copies of the Holy Sepulchre, which is one that we previewed ourselves uh, back when we were doing previews for all the Space Marine stuff. And it, uh, the card that lets you bring us, after a Space Marine unit enters your discard pile, you can 
exhausted to return that unit to your hand. So overall, I really like what he went for with his deck. It reminds me very much of a deck I played a uh, called a uh, Space Marine Assault. It's a card I played, or sorry, not a card, a deck I was playing back during playtesting as well as I continue to use it because I just find it's really efficient and uh, I my deck similarly was also focused around the drop pod assaults. Yeah, um, I mean, when you see through his comments, it was basically being able to land units um, where he needed them uh, with uh, either Ambush or the drop pod or the Elysian fighting, uh, the Elysian, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Elysian assault team, and then uh, bumping that unit up, maybe wait until the opponent had exhausted all his unit, and then bumping a single unit up to then hit, hit the commander for, you know, maybe seven and bloody it straight away, which is a really cool idea. I mean, I'm a massive fan of the uh, Katakin Outpost anyway. I think it's... It gives you so much more value over the course of a game by being able to hit for so much more. And dropping on something like uh, the Librarian, that's just there, just hitting you for six, and, and you can't do anything until you took out all these little chuds, basically. I, I really like the idea of the deck, and obviously it did well. So. Yeah, and I was mistaken. The Honor Librarian cost three as well. It's it got four attack, three cost. I just got the numbers confused. So yeah, I mean, every almost every. I don't think he's got a single unit there that costs more than three. Then, and you know, a lot of them. Well, not a lot of them, but a few of them he could get out for free, like the Elysian um, assault team. Uh, I've just kind of been browsing over his comments too. Uh, the submitter, his name is Michael Clark, so I'm assuming that's the person who's was running the deck as well. Yeah, yeah. So Nate, you did not attend this tournament, right? You said you had something else that day. No, I had something else on that weekend, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would have gone down for it. So, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, very cool. I I like the deck. I like what he's going for with it, and it reminds me very much, like I said, of my uh, Space Wing deck that I'm running. So, overall, very good. Uh, definitely can see what he was going for, and I, I think he had the right number of cards and the right cards to get pushed out what he was looking for. I'd be really interested to see... Uh, some more information on the tournament, like the other decks, as well as how the rounds went and stuff. Yeah, I think I think um, without being a, doing a disservice to anyone at the tournament, it was that was more get a lot of people were just getting the grounding for the game at that tournament. It's the first like sort of well competitive play, and they may have only played a couple of games before going into that tournament. So, whereas this looks like. Uh, I still want to say highly polished deck. It looks like he's... I know Michael anyway. He is a good deck builder. So this looks like, you know, what is good, what is efficient, let's put it in, let's put the correct numbers in, and that's pretty much what he's done. So. Yeah, it definitely looks like he put some decent thought into what he was running on the deck and stuff, and he obviously had some practice with it just because you can definitely see he knew what he was going for. All right, very cool. So like I said, if anyone wants to see that, you can find that on teamsandcrawler.net. Uh, it's and then it's a uh, forward slash question mark p equals 2732. Uh, in case you're looking for the direct link, like or like I said, you can find it in their Warm of 30,000 Conquest section on the site. Uh, they also cover Star Wars the card game, as well as it looks like they recently started covering Pokemon the trading card game. So they're they kind of expanding their stable of what they're covering. They started as a strictly Star Wars site, so very cool to see that. They've got a few other articles as well for uh, 40k and stuff from their various uh 
article writers on the site. Moving right along, uh, that's pretty much the end of the news. We haven't really heard anything else recently. The only thing I've heard, uh, and this is strictly a rumor, so I don't know if this is true, but I've heard talk that we could see more copies of the core set coming in November. So anyone who's still waiting to get their copies because you know you just can't find any locally, you might have more luck come November when a few more copies might be showing up from the distributors. Like I said, I don't know how much truth there is to that. That's just something I heard from a store who said that they heard from their distributor, so it could be strictly hearsay, of course, but there is hope. We will cross the enemies of the Imperium, initiating attack protocol 23. We discussed we wanted to do some deck building on the air. So like we said, Well, give it, give it a go anyway. We'll give it a shot. So like we said, we don't want to do Tau, which was our original plan, because uh, Charles could not be here, unfortunately. So, what do you think you want to do, Nate? I'm. I'll. I'll leave the decision with you. To be honest, I, I'll let you pick. You know, it's your podcast. I'll let you take first. Uh, first ring at whatever faction you feel uh, you'd like doing. No, no, it's not my podcast. It's our podcast. But I'll accept your <laughs> offer of uh, taking the lead on this one. I want to do Astro Militarum because I just, I think they're kind of getting ignored, and I myself am guilty of this. I don't want to play the humans. They're boring. They're just humans. But let's give them a shot and take a look. All right, so... Okay, yeah, that sounds, sounds fair. So I've got my are cards you, with me. You, Do you have your cards with you? Well, I, I was going to build it on the um, on the actual deck builder. That way okay. we can post our finished... Um, Good idea. Our finished uh, thing off, and then people can... Tear it apart. Well, yeah, but I was going to say comment, but yeah, we know that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. All right, so so this is another one, like we, you know, we said, we're going to give it a try a few times just, you know, when we got maybe things are a bit slower, you know, just for the, the heck of it to see how things go. Um, sometime I'd like to try and arrange, as soon as I figure out how, do like a, a live episode maybe, and then we can like interact with the audience and all build a deck, but that might be outside of my current technical know-how, but I'll... That sounds dangerous. (laughs) It would be an interesting experiment, which might be an episode that ends up lost to the warp, but we would have to see how it goes. (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) of course, we're going to be starting with Colonel Straken. You know, there's there's no one else to choose from right now. We don't know who the Inquisitor that we're getting coming up in the Warlord Cycle is. All we know is he's an Inquisitor. Uh, So, with that, um, Straken's theme is, of course, around soldiers and warriors. So, we're probably going to be looking at those cards as well he's got a bit of a focus on uh, when units leave play and sacrifice and stuff like that which tends to be a Astro Militarum thing for those of you familiar with them and their lore so we'll go through all the cards they've got uh, starting with the Rattling Scouts uh, do you not think it's best probably first just pick which uh, ally we're going for or well, would you want to do that after um, it's just I'm just going from the from the deck builder online. You have to pick right. your um, your ally before you can go any further. So okay. no, this is a bit of a backwards thinking. I mean, my, my take would be going for orcs purely because uh, everyone's done Smurfs and done them to death. So <laughs> maybe a look at orcs uh, would be better. I'm okay with going with the orcs because they have a lot of warrior cards. And they have another card that I think I would like to take, um, which is the Squig Ballman. The ability to destroy some supports, I think, is a useful thing. So I'm okay with saying we'll choose the Orcs. We can always go back and change that if we decide later on. 
because uh, you can change on the card game DB deck builder quite easily with a little button there. So I'll let you pick that. And then we'll start with the first Astronomic Tarm card, which, like I said, is the Rattling Deadeye. So this is the 111 with ranged. Um, I'm inclined to say we take at least a couple copies of this just because he's relatively cheap. He's got uh, one command icon and he's got ranged. And with the ranged and the Catechan Outpost that I'm sure we'll end up taking, um, we could give him a bit of a boost to make him a 3-1 with range, which could be pretty good at you know sniping a few units before we actually get to combat. Yeah, I, th I think it's a solid choice. I mean, it's cost-effective. He's one for one. Well, he's one for one attack, one hit point, and one command icon and range. So technically, if anything, under-costed. So I, I, anything that's under-costed, I always take. Okay, so I'm. what are we thinking? Two or three? Um... I personally go for three because okay. cards that, the one cost cards a lot of the time allow you to fill out your turn. Uh, say when you start with seven uh, resources and you spend two threes, he's that one that allows you to sort of round out your spending on the first turn, which I really do like. All right, I'm fine with that. So let's do that. He's unfortunately not a soldier or a warrior, but that's okay. We'll forgive him. For now. He is a mutant, after all. Alright, so the next card is the Cadian Mortar Squads. Uh, this is also a ranged unit, and they get to ready themselves every time a unit leaves play. And they are soldiers, so they could be boosted by being at the planet with Straken. Um, they also have two command icons, which is pretty good. Uh, again, I'm inclined to say we take at least a few copies of this, um, especially where it's got ranged, and it, you could kill a unit and then ready it, potentially. You might be able to get a few shots off with this as opposed to other cards, because if we were to boost it with Catechan Outpost or again with Straken's boost, it could be swinging for anywhere from one to yeah, four. I usually find that anything that is loyal is not bust, that's the wrong word. It's usually strong and it's it's loyal for a reason, so I, I tend to like taking two, at least two or three of those cards as long as they fit the deck. I think it fits the theme that we're trying to go for. So I say we take three. Yeah, done that. All right. The next card is the Sanction Psyker. Now, this card I know we talked a bit about before uh, when we were discussing those decks and stuff earlier. It's two cost. It's got two command icons, and it's got four hit points. So I think this is a good unit to take three of again. I know we're taking three of everything so far because it's relatively cheap. It lets you win command struggles. And if it ends up at a plant with a battle, it's got a chance of surviving at least for a while where it's got the four hit points. Plus, you could potentially, uh, keep saying this every time we talk about a unit, but the Catechan Outpost, you could use it on the Sanctioned Psyker, and also on the Sanctioned Psyker is hitting for two instead of zero like your opponent might be expecting. Yeah, I, I, it's a solid card. And like you said, I, th I think we've got an inkling of what support card's going to be a three of in this deck already. So... I've got no problem with putting three. He's really solid for capturing uh, planets. And if the opponent wants to... Uh, he's either got to match it, uh, so put another two command icons on that planet, or spend a turn sending his warlord over there to get a battle to, to try and kill it. So I think he's, for, for his class, he's good at what he does. Yeah, I agree. So I think we should take three of that as well. 
All right, the next card might be the first one we come to that we might not want a copy of. Uh, it's the Lehman Rust Battle Tank. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad unit. This is an amazing unit. But it's five cost, which seems a bit high, and it doesn't get any kind of a boost, really, from Straken or anything. Not that every card necessarily needs to. Now, it's got solid hitting power, solid command icons, and with six hit points, it's going to be sitting there for a while. Unless you come up against, you know, something like Space Range or Chaos that have a way to directly kill it, but that's always a risk. I mean, I, I, I like it, and I would take it at least two copies because it gives the deck reach, uh, gives it a, a little bit of durability. If you put a Lehman Rust Battle Tank on a planet, the opponent's thinking, right, well, I'm not taking resources from that planet unless I'm going for a fight, and a fight with a Lehman Rust Battle Tank is not over quickly. So, I mean, I, I, I like it just because it gives the, the guard something they need, which is a little bit of durability. So... Okay, I, I can definitely see that point. Yeah, I think taking two is probably good. It's a good, uh, what I like to call a finisher, if nothing else. It's got you know good hitting power, so it's a good finisher for near when you're coming maybe near the end of things and you're just trying to hit away. So yeah, I, I'd say two is probably a good number. All right, so rolling right along, we come to the Mordian Hellhound. This is another tank. Um... This one is not loyal. It's a four cost, but it's got area effect of one, or it can hit for three. Um, I'm not really sure on this one, to be honest. I'm not a fan, personally. Um, especially when you know what you know about the Mordian Hellhound, where it is the probably one of the king of area of effects, and then it gets an area effect one. Mm. Somehow does it seem to fit the... Um, the, the when you saw it on a tabletop and you were playing Tyranids and the opponent was playing this, you were like, oh, that's going to be a world of pain. So, um, yeah, I always felt it should be Area Effect 2 and costed appropriately. It could have been a 5 cost and an Area Effect 2. I'd have been happy with that as well. So, um, if you compare it directly to something like the the Space Marines card, the name escapes me now, the Assault Team. Oh, the Blood Angel Assault Squad? Yeah, yeah. If you compare it to that, and they've got Area Effect 2, and this is a tank that is solely there to dish out Area of Effect, I just find it weird. Okay, then I say we skip this one for now. Uh, we can always come back if we decide we need to fill a slot or something with it. Yeah, definitely. So next we've got the Assault Valkyrie. Uh, it's their four-cost flyer with four hit points. I kind of like this card just because it's got the flying so it's got solid staying power i think with that um as long as you know you not come up against the deck that has a lot of other flying um but i don't know if it's something we necessarily need right now like right now we're kind of hedging more on lehman rust battle tank is our big vehicle beefy thing and i don't know i would rather take another lehman rust than put one of these in <clears throat> just because the flying equates, he's probably got eight hit points rather than um, the six what Lehman Rust Battle Tanks got. No one's still got flying, of course, or Rocket Boys and so on. Um, however, it hasn't got the four uh, command icons, which I think is a whole lot. The, 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 the Lehman Rust is just set for just sitting on a planet. That you, you know you're going to want to probably take it at some point and try and take the resources off. This really doesn't either. So. All right, so moving along. Stalwart Orgrin, 
two costs, one command, two hit points, and two attack, immune to enemy events. And he's a warrior. I really yeah, like this, him. This guy's going in as a three of, uh, even if you say not. So. <laughs> Alright, so, so just, we're currently the, building Nate's deck. <laughs> no, I just think for two costs, two hit points, two attack, a command icon, he's a warrior, so he's, he's getting boosted after Strucken, uh, and he's immune to enemy events, which is good because it means you can target him with your events, but the opponent can't. And also it helps him against area effects, uh, Doom, Exterminatus, Warp Storm. He's just, he just such a solid unit uh, for what his cost is. I think he's, he's, when I first saw him, I thought, well, he's, he's okay. But now seeing how devastating like those board wipes, being able to take the edge off it by having at least him or maybe him and another buddy survive, I think is really good. Yeah, I agree. I say we take three of him. The next card is the unique. It's Captain Marcus. Uh, he's the one that lets you sacrifice an Astro Militarum unit to exhaust a target non-Warlord unit that's planet. I think when it comes to him, if we end up taking any, which I'm okay with taking any, I think we should take two. I think three is too many for a unique. Um... I'm a little, when it comes to unique so far, uh, I'm a little. It probably comes from Thrones, but unless you really need that unique to um, to help your deck function, I, I believe I'm only running one because I hate having dead draws later on in the game. Uh, now you're probably going to want him in the front line doing what he needs to be doing, and he might not last as long as you'd like. There's nothing worse than having dead draws for me. So, I mean, we can take it as a two-up, but I just, if we need to make space somewhere, probably drop them down to one if we need to make that room, that's all. Okay, so we'll take two for now with the caveat that we might come back and drop them. It sounds good. All right, the next one is the Engine Seer Auger. Auger? I'm not really sure how to pronounce that word. I know what I was trying to say. Um, it's the Tech Priest lets you search for a support card, but he has to leave play. So, I mean, we could trigger him with Captain Marcus that we just kind of, we took temporarily. Um, but other than that, I don't really, the, the thing I don't like about him is it, it kind of requires your opponent maybe to hit it and kill it for you for its effect to go off. And I don't, I, I don't know. I, I want to take it because it's a tech priest and I love the Adeptus Mechanicus and stuff. And I can see it's used with being able to pull out a support card. I'm just not sure it's worth it where it's only going to search the top six cards of our deck. Um, I personally like him because he hasn't got any command icons, so he's a perfect candidate to go onto the first planet, get in a rook in a battle, die, get out a free support unit. You've technically lost no resources and no cards if he hits. Now, depending on how many support cards you put in, will dictate how good this guy is, so... Uh, if we're going for at least three catch and outposts, uh, you've got the Omega Zero Command already. Depending on how many more you are, the likelihood of you hitting one is pretty good. Yeah, I, yeah, I think where we kind of really want to hedge our bets on the Catechan Outpost, being able to get it out for sure, you definitely got a point there. So let's take two of this guy. Or do you... uh, I'd take two or, th two or three, definitely. Okay. Let's go with two for now, and then we'll see again you know, what we got at the end. 
I'm just kind of letting you keep track of all the cards and stuff. Well, I'm, build, I'm building the deck on the deck builder yeah. currently. So. All right, the next card, the Penal Legionnaire, is the zero-cost, 1-1 one, one conscript ally, strictly a chump. I don't really see any reason for us to take him with this particular deck. Uh, he's essential, essentially a human snotling. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's basically that's, a token. That's not what I'm gonna say. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't see any reason to take him right now. I mean, I see his advantage where he's zero cost, and you just kind of get him out to flood the board, or even you know delay your deployment turn uh, for the unit you really want to play because you can deploy him for free. But right now, I think we've got other spots to fill. Yeah, I don't think he's worth the card, the, the slot. He might, might be worth it in some other decks, but he's not worth the, the, the card slot. The next card, I think, is an absolute must in pretty much any Ashton Militarium deck, at least for the the current time and maybe for quite a while longer. The Infantry Conscripts, uh, they're the ones that get plus two attack for each support card you control and have five hit points. Now, they do cost four, but we haven't really taken much that costs four so far. We've, I think ours is so far the Lehman Russ is the most expensive unit at five. I'm not personally a fan of this. Really? Yeah. I find they're very popular with Ashton Militarian players. They're such a good unit. They probably are, but me, me personally, I'm not a fan. See, because they're fairly beefy, and you can make them particularly big depending on how many supports you have out, and where we're kind of going to try and get supports out, especially with the engine tier. Oh, oh, I can't say that word. The engine tier, dude. Um, I think he'd be a good choice for what we want to see in the deck. <sighs> He's just, he's relying on the, what it is. You can't even leave him capping a planet until he becomes useful. Yeah, I mean, that's the downside if you don't see supports. But playing Ashton Militarum, I think we have a pretty good chance of seeing supports. Plus, we're probably going to be taking a decent amount. But And, and also, he has no synergy with Strachan as well. Right, where he's not a soldier or warrior. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to take this, I would probably take the... Um, the Valkyrie over this because you pay four and you get four attack. Mm-hmm. Whereas this guy, you can pay four and get nothing. That, I know the likelihood of that. You know, you, you're probably gonna at least get two. But the just having him sitting in my hand, see low on card, you've got to play him, and you just play the zero five, no command icons. You you just pay for the most expensive bullet sponge. Yeah, he's definitely not something you'd play until you've got the board built up for him to be uh, useful. So, tell you what, we'll skip them for now, but I want to come back and revisit it after we look at what we take for supports. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the next card, I'm sure we can both agree, the Elysian Assault Teams is going to be a three copies. Yeah. It's, it's the, um, my favorite card's cousin, so yeah, yeah. So he's going. Soldier, we can get him out for free, because anytime another one of our soldiers leaves play, we put this unit to play from our hand at the same plant, and he's a 2-1. So essentially he's an eager recruit for most likely free. And he's a soldier as well. Eager recruit for free, yeah, yeah, I'd take that. <laughs> yeah, I think mean, the only downside that he's not as good as eager recruit is you can't, you have to have presence there um, to begin with to, to drop him in. That's the only thing, but I don't think that's going to be too difficult for guard. Sorry, Militarum. It's okay. I think that catches everybody. All right, the next card is the first of our events outside of the Signature Squad. It's the Premptor Barrage. This is the one that gives up to three Ashton Militarum units we control at the same planet uh, ranged. Now, 
I really like this card. It's a really good card. Giving your units range is great. It's loyal. It's got two shield. And it's only one cost. The only thing is, we haven't even looked at our ally cards yet. And if we take a lot of orc stuff, we might end up not wanting this card because it might not be as useful. But then again, it does still have two shields. I would take three. I would take three as well. I was okay, trying to play devil's three. advocate there. Yeah, I think the devil's advocate's weak on this one. The, uh, again, it's loyal. It's one cost, two shields. Even if you target two units, yeah, you ain't losing that much. Um, given the Lehman Rust range, <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's awesome. yeah, I mean that's in the case where that um, the uh, the conscript, not the conscripts, what the forecast cards called now again. Um, see how much I use them. Uh, the one that get plus two for every spot. That's the infantry conscripts. Yeah, the conscripts. That's when. With that can be insane, but uh, again, it, it depends on how, how many times you can get them to be working correctly. I think so, but yeah, I definitely say this is a three of. Even if you even if you've got three orcs out and no guard units, you still got two shields. Yeah, it's the two shields that pushes it over the edge for me. Yeah, definitely. All right, next we've got suppressive fire. It's only got one shield, zero cost event though. And it's a combat action, exhausting unit you control to exhaust a target non-warlord unit at the same planet. Eh? I see its usefulness, but honestly I think we're going for a bit more of an aggressive deck, but then again being able to shut down a potentially problematic unit and then beat the mm. crap out of it. Um, I really like this card. I'd at least take two. Yeah, I'll agree with that too. Because when you're staring down a uh, an assault squad, bloodletter, uh, anything with area effect that's going to decimate all your nice little uh, tokens, or basically all your one hit point guys, suddenly I don't know. Maybe you wait till next turn till after all my guys have uh, had their strike. I think for, for the for the cost of zero as well, I think it's really strong. Yeah, I like the idea of being able to exhaust AOE stuff before it hits you back, or hits you, rather. Yeah, it's, it's a unit you control. It's got no... Um, yeah, it doesn't specify army it's... unit, warlord unit, or token unit, so you could exhaust a token guardsman to, to use it, yeah. and that would be, I think, a pretty good use for it. All right, yeah. let's take three of that, I'm going to say, for now, yeah. and then we'll revisit it when we look at somewhere we're not going to have any room for our orcs. <laughs> um, hostile environment gear is the next card it's the attachment that gives uh, an army unit plus 3 HP now I do really like this card I like being able to give our units the extra hit points I almost like this card better though with orc units with brutal yeah, the definitely. unfortunate side effect of taking Ashamilitarum as our main faction and orcs as the, uh, the ally is all the orc units that have brutal are loyal See, all the good cards are loyal. Yeah, so I don't know if it would be quite as useful. Um, just trying to think if we've got any other units that I'd really want to put that on to kind of keep them alive. And maybe the Rattling Deadeye, because it'd be nice to keep them alive for a while, but they're only a 1-1, one, one, so really do we want to give them extra 4 hit points just to keep them around a little bit longer. Uh, the Cadian Mortar Squad. Um... Yeah. They're, they're definitely a unit I wouldn't mind having survive a little bit longer. They're again only a one, but they've got three hit points already, so when you're giving them an extra uh, three, it'd be pretty good. 
Oh, I mean, the only real targets I see so far the Canadian, sorry, not Canadian, Canadian Motor Squad, Captain Marcus, um, maybe the Ogrin, but there's nothing there that screams I want to stay on the board other than the uh, Battle Tank, and that already stays on the board pretty well, and obviously you can't equip that to it, so it's not really a problem anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm fine without taking this. Yeah, I say we skip it for now because. In the support cards, and I know we want to take quite a few supports, we've got the Rock Creek Bunker, which also helps us soak up some damage yeah. to keep our units alive, and I think that might be a bit more useful. I think that's more synergistic than what we're trying to do, rather than keeping a one... Uh, just being able to ping off that one damage is more beneficial than giving one sort of piddly unit three hit points, I think, so... Right. All right, so next we've got Bodyguard Attachment. It's zero cost with two shields. Uh, you can attach it to army unit we control, and after a unit we control is assigned damage by an attack at this planet, reassign one of that damage to attached unit. So essentially we want to make a unit into a damage soak. My only problem with, well not my only problem, but my problem with this card, at least what it does outside of the two shields is, we don't really have a good candidate thus far with what we've taken to be a damage soak. Yeah, I mean without combining it with the... Um... Hostile environment gear. Yeah, without combining it with that, you haven't really got a, a good soaker, and I don't want to run a card just because we're running another card that might make it. Uh, it's too many pieces for not enough uh, reward, basically. So. Yeah, it'd be a good card to have with like um, the infantry conscripts because they've got the five health, so they could be a pretty decent damage soak. But other than that, because yeah. we haven't taken them yet, I don't think we really need it right now. And the two shields are nice, but we've got other shield cards at this point. Yeah. Alright, so next it's the in-faction reducer for the Ashimal term, which is the Imperial Bunker. Uh, it's the limited, unique, one cost, and when we deploy a unit, we can exhaust the support to reduce that unit's cost by one. So it's good for delaying deployment. It's another support card. It only costs one. Uh, with, with these ones, it tends to be where they made the faction reducers in this game unique. I tend to go with two if I take one at all. Maybe one coffee. This is possibly the one deck I would actually take two of these. Uh, purely because you're trying to get that support out. And that would be... If you took two of these, I could actually be persuaded to take the... Uh, the um, conscripts. The conscripts in because it's helping those. I, I know the second one you draw is dead, but it allows you to get into your supports faster. So, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, cards like uh, the Tau card that allows you to destroy a limited card and uh, the Orc uh, support card killer, um, Squig Bombing, <coughs> allows you to take him out, but I don't think you need redundancy for those two cards just yet. Um, but, yeah, this is probably because they're so reliant on their support cards, um, things that trigger off it, I think this is the one that yeah, I'd be happy to take two of. Okay. The next card is the Raw Creek Bunker that we already talked about briefly. That's kind of what we decide is going to be our damage soak. It's only one cost, it's not unique, and it's not limited. I say we take three. Okay. <laughs> okay. And it's loyal. 
Oh, is that, is that how you're going to swing me around, is it? That's, that's right. It's loyal, so it's good. You, hey, you made the rules. I'm just following the rules. Loyal equals good. That might be yeah, that might I, be the title for this episode. Loyal equals good. The, the other th- I wish you didn't have the little uh, ends and um, two words on the sacrifice. It the, if if there's four more damage, you have to sacrifice it. I I, pre- I wish it came with tokens on and you depleted them rather than adding to it because then they would stick around for your um, conscripts. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I see your argument there. You know, it doesn't stay on the board necessarily the whole time, but. Um, you have to exhaust it to soak the damage. So at, at the most, you're only using it once a turn. So it's going to survive most likely four turns, short of some sort of support destruction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I, I mean, it's just little things like that. I, I just think you give it a bit more, a bit more by that. So, but you could leave the one on it if you wanted to keep the two damage up, or yeah, if you're really pushing for damage that much. Okay. Ah, okay. So I put three of those in. Yep. And then the last one, we've talked about it almost this entire time, three copies of Catacan Outpost. That's a, yeah, that's that's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's a must. I mean, giving a I unit think, plus two attack is just amazing. And it, I think that's what's given... Um, I think without that card, they'd be really struggling right now. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about it is it's only for its next attack, this phase, so it doesn't even last you know, the entire combat phase, but I think giving any unit plus two attack for an entire combat phase. Like, imagine giving plus two attack to the Lehman Rust Battle Tank. It's going to be sitting there swinging for six, and it's probably going to survive at least a swing twice where it's got six hit points. I think that could be a little bit of overkill. I mean, you know, hello, Warlord, boom. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it needs to survive the um, active for longer than that. Especially when you, I mean, if you want to kill something and you've got a couple of these out, you can stack them. Uh, and they go, oh yeah, I get hit for ten or something. Let's shield you, shield that basically. So let's play against Space Marines, in which they play the card that I hate. So uh, yeah. Okay. Indomitable does uh, wreck my head. <laughs> yeah, it's. I believe it's Indomitable that you're thinking of, or is it Curious yeah, or Curious? Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's Indomitable one where they just negate all the damage. Right. Basically. Yeah, that's Indomitable. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's annoying. <laughs> right, okay, that's uh, up to 43 cards. Oh, wow. So we yeah. might not be getting much from the orcs, or we're going to be playing around with the numbers a bit. So let's take a quick look through some of the orc stuff and see if there's anything that really stands out that we might want to take. Snubbling Grots, obviously we're not going to take. They're the zero-cost 1-1 one, one weenies, just like the other one we chose not to take. Goth Knob's loyal. Weird Boy Maniac is loyal. The Tank Busta Bombas, four cost, it is, it's got four hit points, two command, and it does the whole, you know, extra damage to vehicles, which, it's like we said when we first previewed this card, it's kind of like, you know, it depends on how vehicle heavy a meta is, uh, but I don't think it's going to, even though it's a I warrior... I don't think it's necessary right now because the amount of vehicles that are being used, if you look through the, the decks that have been made, Space Marines aren't taking many, Eldar aren't taking many, uh, Tau aren't taking many. Um, I don't think anyone's really taking many units. No, no. The, and, and if they are, they're the, they're the top end vehicles that cost like five or six, uh, and maybe only one or two. So 
are you sitting there waiting for them to play that before you can bring him out so he can do his best, you know, do, do his job efficiently? I just don't think he's worth it at the minute. Especially as an ally, anyway. Right, I agree. All right, so next it's the Rugged Killer Cans, loyal, so it doesn't matter. Uh, Enraged Orc, also loyal, doesn't matter. Crossface, loyal, doesn't matter. All these good cards that just don't matter. The Bad Dock is the one that gains three command icons while it is damaged, so it would have four command icons. So it would be pretty good for helping us get command. It's only two cost. It's got four hit points, so it's got some survivability. <clears throat> I don't think it's needed. To be honest with you. I don't know it's, if we need it either, because I think we're... I think overall we're okay for command. Well, I think what we're looking for is warriors. Right. The next warrior is the Rocket Boy. Uh, he is a warrior. He's two cost for 2-2, two, two, and each enemy unit at this planet loses the flying keyword. Being able to shut down flying, I think, has some definite benefit for us. Um, not that flying's necessarily too prevalent yet. There's just, I don't think there's enough units yet for it to be overly prevalent, but you know, depending on what we play against. So that's a that's a definite possibility, I think. Hmm. Um, I'd, I'd be more inclined to take the shoot 'em up over Rocky Boy, to be honest with you. Shoot 'em up. So go for the really cheap guys like Shoot 'em up and the Goth Boys. Uh yeah. Uh, purely... <laughs> or just Shoot 'em up. Uh, yeah, Goth Boys are okay because they do what they need to be doing. They get the plus three attack, so they're helping to get the buff. Uh, they're going to go on the first planet, so they're going to be leaving play, but I don't think... I'm just trying to remember what triggers the leaving play effects. Um, yeah, maybe not. After unit is assigned damage by an attack, sacrifice soldier or unit at the same planet. I don't know if it's there. But... See, I think... That, yeah, that was what I was going for. Because it's quite uh, good with the glorious intervention... So when you just keep throwing these onto the uh, the first planet, uh, so they get the plus three attack. Um, so glorious intervention is quite good with them. Uh, obviously they're going to get another plus one attack, so they're going to be four attack while at the first planet with Strachan. There's quite a few synergies there with it, but it's whether or not you want to use them. Are you thinking of the shooter mob or the golf boys? The Goth Boys. The Goth Boys, unfortunately, don't work with Glorious Intervention, because Glorious Intervention is printed attack value. So they don't. Oh, their really? printed attack value is actually zero, so that's what you're thinking. We should probably not take them. Yeah, well, let's leave them then. Uh... Shoot them up, <laughs> have two. They're yeah. one cost, they're cheap, and they're warrior, so they're a cheap unit we can sacrifice to something like Glorious Invention, and if nothing else, they also get buffed by Straken. And you know, they're yeah. only one. So I say we take them. Yeah, just looking through all the units, there's not that much that else that uh, we can take. Uh, well, we've got Snuggling Grot, not really. Snuggling Attack if we're that way inclined, but I can't see there. I mean, Snuggling Attack I quite like, purely because of Catechan Outpost. Um, you mean like to make them all sudden hit for three instead of just one. Yeah, I just think it's funny because they're going to be like a low priority, and then when you make them a three-one, they suddenly become higher in the priority list of what to eliminate. Um, yeah, if they haven't got area effect, if they've only got one unit there, it means they keep taking like that three attack. It's about depending on how many catch and outposts you've got. I can see that getting quite annoying. 
All right. I don't know if we really have the space to take it, though. I do see what you're going No, no, no. I just think it's an interesting idea. Okay. Uh, Squig Ballman, I think we should definitely take a, at least a couple copies up to destroy a target support card. I like it because it's not like the other support card targeter, the one that the Tau have, whose name escapes me at the moment, but I, which is only on a limited one. This one is uh, any... Yeah. I think that's a limited card, though, not a limited um, support the tense negotiations, I think it is, or something like that. Uh, let me look real quick. Calculated strike. Oh, destroy target limited card. Okay, you're right. It's a limited card, so it's not limited, just supports. I yeah, even... which I think is technically probably got a better scope at the minute because there's more limited cards I'd want to destroy than support cards. I can't think of any limited cards that aren't support cards, but I'm sure there is some. Uh, well, you've got the drone out of Tau. Uh, you have the. Oh, let me think. What else is limited? Oh, right, the recon drones, the little cheap yeah, guys that grab command. Uh, promotion itself is uh, limited as well. Good point. Uh, there's just there's, there's little there's a things few. That, that could be interesting. Uh, I mean, for squig bombing itself, I don't think there's that many support cards that I want to pay to get rid of. There's, in fact, there's literally outside of guard. There's literally. Whatever's uh, in the support in the signature squad, you don't really want to. The reducers are okay to do, but you're not gaining much. Promethean mines again. If he pays one, and then you pay two to destroy it, he's technically still up one resource. See, I'm thinking like Ashamil Tarmic is out of a lot of good support cards. Space Marines have some great support cards. Yeah, the Chaos has some like, good support cards. So. There's definitely some good targets for Squig Ballman. So I think it's definitely a useful card. I say we take two copies. If nothing else, it's okay. got the one shield. And we'd, I, yeah. I'd like to see a few more shields because I think we're a little low on overall shield cards. But I'm not 100% sure. Well, if we take these Squig Ballman, that'll leave us with five cards and only 25 units. So I'd like to take another five units to get it up to around 30. Okay. Let's take a quick sure. peek through the rest of the orc stuff that we can actually take. Um, I mean, in, in my mind, it's either shoot a mob or the uh, burner boys. Burner boys, I think, might be too expensive for what we're going for. Um, the reason I like burner boys, the warrior, the hits are a lot of damage, and we can with um, Straken's uh, ability, uh, glorious, inter glorious intervention, the rock creep bunker, keep, keep them alive. And they work really well with Glorious Intervention when you mention that because they would deal five damage. Yeah. If you wanted to sack them off. I right. mean, if they're on one hit point anyway, yeah. you may as well. I mean, it depends on the situation, of course, but being able to smack something back for five, uh, yeah, that's definitely got some advantage. I, I like that idea. The only other card I'm looking at real quickly here is Rocket Launcher. For some reason, I thought it was loyal, but it's not. And it gives the unit ranged. That has some different uses, too. Like... We, I don't think we need it in a deck where we've got Rattling Snipers and Preemptive Barrage. Okay, yeah, that's true. We've got the Preemptive Barrage. All right, so let's skip that for now because it's like you said, I would like to see, if, I agree, I would like to see a few more units. And I don't think there's really anything else that we can, there's no point in us taking a Teleportopad. We don't have enough Orc stuff and obviously the Faction yeah. Reducer is pretty much useless. And Orc Cannon, it's a one-cost support, but... I don't really think it's that useful for us. I, I, it's more useful for the orcs because it lets them turn on their brutal. Yeah, I think it's better in the chaos orc 
set up because of uh, the pinging damage and then the the synergy it has with Xanthar and so on. So. Yeah, and any orc brutal stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we, where does that leave us right now for stuff if we take the uh, the Burner Boys? Well, uh, we're on 45 cards now, so what I was going to do was add two Burner Boys. Okay. And then if I go back and if we want to take two conscripts, so that gives us four cost units at four just to round out the, the higher end stuff, which I think is good. Was there any other cards that we only took two copies of that we might want to increase by one? Um, well, we could have a look at the neutral stuff. Just let me put in the conscripts. That's true. We forgot all about the neutral stuff. We don't have much room left. I don't... Hmm. Which one will... Well, we've literally got a card. Uh, I don't think fallback is great to us. No mercy is not terrible. No mercy. Uh, My problem with that is it requires a unique unit, and we've only got the two unique units. We got Marxist and our warlord, so it might be a little yeah. difficult at times to get use out of. It does have a shield though. Um, maybe promotion. I just don't know if a single copy is that great, but. I personally would rather have a, another uh, unit in there and get it up to 30 units. Yeah, I, I'd rather that too. And There's not really any um, other... I don't think we need any of the neutral units necessarily, but they are decently cost and they get you the extra bonus. Um, we could always go up to three Engine Seer Ogre. Now we've yeah. got the, uh, um, the Conscripts in. I think he, he doubles up as being a better unit. How many supports did we end up taking... Out of it. We've got nine. Nine overall, so two Imperial Bunkers, three Rock Creek Bunkers, three Catacan Outposts, and uh, the Signature Squad one. Yeah. And I must be missing one of those. Uh, no, we've only got two Imperial Bunkers. We didn't put, obviously put three of those in. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. My math was just terrible. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I guess we could take the Industry guy because, you know, He's loyal, so he's good. Well, I think that the ability to try and hit the Omega Zero command quicker is always good as well, because that card is really cool. I really do like that card. <laughs> so if we take that, that rounds out to 50. All right, so there we go. So I think that went overall okay. It was some interesting discussion, nothing else. I mean, I, th I think we've got... Um, I'd say at least 90% what everyone will agree on, but I think that's difficult not to get because it's on the course at only. I think there'll be a few number here and there, you know, swapping around, but I think we've got the majority of the, the cards well in there, so... Yeah, I mean, it's going to be somewhat of a lot of other decks just because, you know, like you said, it's core set only. I mean, it's yeah. that's typical to any of the LCDs when it's core set only, a lot of decks end up being the same because you know just kind of the the good cards rise to the top and the chaff rises to the bottom. Like I remember back during Star Wars, it was pretty much, "What are you playing? I'm playing Smugglers with Jedi. What are you playing? I'm playing Smugglers with Jedi. <laughs> what are you playing? I'm playing Sith. Oh, I'm playing Sith. Oh, funny that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take me back to that. Yeah, of course it. So I mean, I, I mean, uh, I'll put this up on um, the link. Uh, when we put it up on the main page, Card Game DB, uh, so people can have a look and see what they think. Um, I'll also uh, put it in the um, Strachan thread as well, so people can have a look in there. Uh, and I will also personally test this. I'll build this deck and test it out this Wednesday, and then uh, come back 
next time to to see how I fared with it anyway. Yeah, I'll give it a few test games as well. I'll have to wait for you to post it because I don't remember exactly all the quantities we took. I was just kind of flipping through my cards, so I didn't grab everything. Um, but yeah, okay, so there we go. That's our deck, guys. Uh, hopefully you can kind of see what we're going for there. Uh, definitely very much a focus on buffing our units a bit and hitting hard. I, I'm quite happy with it, though. I think it should work well. The only thing I, I would have liked is a bit more range, but we were kind of limited on what we could grab. Uh, yeah, I think with the the only thing that we didn't put in that we had to is is uh, the rocket launcher. Yeah, I would I would let, if we could have found a room to squeeze in the rocket launcher, we I would have mind of doing that. I might try that when I play it. You know, maybe take out something that I wasn't that we're not sure of, like suppressive fire maybe or something, and see how it goes. Because like. You know, give it, give the rocket launcher to the infantry conscripts. If you got a lot of supports out, you, all of a sudden you could be hitting for you know six in the ranged phase. But it's all very situational, of course. But we've got enough supports that I think we should be seeing a few. Uh well, do you want a few uh, statistics on the deck? Because the card game, uh, card game DB build is very good at that. Yep. So we've got a total shields of sixteen. Uh, average shield per event attachment is 1.45. Total command is 36, and average command per unit is 1.2, which is, from what I've seen, quite good. Uh, cost and attack. Uh, okay. That graph's a little bit hard to interpret. I'm not used to it. Um, the cost, the, the 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 curve for the cost is pretty good though. Uh, we've got no three attack units apparently. Though. Weird, but I, I think that's been made up for by the um, the outpost anyway, so it's not a problem. I think seeing that is going to be important. I think when you lose games with this deck, it's going to be because you didn't see at least a copy of that card. I think. Yeah, it's hard to say without giving it a go, but I, yeah. I see your point there too. Interesting stats, though. I was surprised when you said how many command icons we had. I didn't realize we had quite so many. Yeah, it's the thing we got. It's just got it coming out of it. I mean, eight of that is two. Well, exactly. Rust. Yeah, eight of so, that's Aurelian yeah. Rust. So, you know, that's like twenty-five percent. <laughs> it's a decent chunk. And then the Sanction Psyker too gives us two each. Yeah. All right. So there's our deck, folks. So, uh, like we said, Nate and I will give it a, a go. Uh, we'll maybe we'll mention it to Charles as well when we get a chance to talk to him after he's back from his uh his stuff and uh. See if he wants to give it a go as well. We all come back and kind of report some results to see, you know, how good or how terrible the deck was. Um, Nate, do you have anything else you would like to discuss in our deck building card section? Um, no. I mean, like I say, if any of the guys want to come on and comment on it, that'd be helpful, not just to us, but to I think everyone. Just from some people aren't great at building decks yet, uh, still struggling with. Um, numbers of units and shields you want in decks, still trying to get that right amount. I think every deck's going to be different, but they're going to slowly get into a pattern where you know roughly what you want to be aiming for. So this this helps everyone, I think. Um, so, yeah, any, any feedback's good. I mean, like I say, I'll be testing this. Um, if other people want to test it and let us know, they can send us feedback as well to let us know how they fared with it as well. That'd be quite cool. Uh, that's about it. Definitely. And to send us the feedback, you can either let us know on Facebook or on our page. You can you know, comment on the deck list once Nate gets it posted. And you can also email us at adeptuspodcasts at gmail.com. 
Alright, so next we're going to get into the lore for this week. Stay a while and listen. Okay, so this week on Know Your Lore Guys, I'm going to cover the three warlords I did not have the chance to cover in the last episode. Uh, warning, uh, much like the last time, there could be spoilers here. I'm doing my best not to try and spoil too much for you guys, while also providing information for those players who won't necessarily be diving further into the lore, uh, like some of us. I, I can't recommend it enough. I'm sure if you guys have listened to me on this podcast often enough, you know how much of a fan of the lore I am. Um, I, I could go on about this stuff for years, probably. I could do a podcast probably just about the lore. So, this week I'm going to cover Straken, Nazdreg, and Commander Shadowsun herself. Uh, I'll start with the Tau in honor of Charles and his uh, not being here this episode. So, Commander Shadowsun, also known as Osasera, as uh, her actual Tau name. Shadowsun's like a, a nickname, title, whatever you want to call it. So, she's actually slightly older than she may appear to be, um, or like is physically, because she was actually put in suspended animation for a while. She's a disciple of a great Tau commander called Commander Puretide. So, when he died, um, the the Tau leaders decided that they wanted to find a way to keep his knowledge and his teachings and experience and stuff alive and preserved for future generations to use. So they ended up, like I said, freezing some of his uh, his students and stuff. So she was actually brought out of her suspended animation to replace another one of Puritai's disciples known as Commander Farsight. A uh, bit of information on Farsight. Farsight was a commander who led a very successful campaign, and it was against the orcs for the most part. And what he ended up doing was, after the last of his ethereal advisors died, he actually kind of went off mission, kind of dropped off the grid, and chased down these orcs. And he followed them well beyond the realm of the Tau, and past a, a region of space that they have difficulty crossing called, I believe, the Damocles Gulf. Um, could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it's the Damocles Gulf. And so what happened was he's actually established his own empire over there called the Farsight Enclaves. He's still alive as far as the Tau Empire knows. He's a special character in the, the Codexes as well. He's got other Tau there with him, and he has his own little society going on. Um, so anyway, like I said, Shadowson here, she was brought out to replace him. She's uh, the current, basically, head of the Tau military. She's very successfully helped them win many roles to their side um, during the third sphere of expansion, which is the third major expansion of the Tau Empire to increase its borders and stuff. So, um, the battle suit that you see that she's in, the white suit that she's wearing, is actually an XV-22 stealth suit that allows her to connect with drones and command them and stuff like that. Um, she's been, like I said, extremely successful. She's led many battles. She's a special character in the various uh, Tau codexes, so if you ever want to read one, um, they're actually called Codex Tau Empire now. The original was called Codex Tau. She's been in all three of them, though, so anyone you pick up, if you want to pick up one of the older ones or you know, you know somebody who plays Warhammer 40,000 and you want to borrow a copy, you can read a bit more about her. She's the one I know the least about just because the Tau, as we've said, are the newest race to Warhammer 40,000, both within the setting itself and within the actual, you know, 
real world that we all live in because they were added later in the game's life. They haven't always been around like the orcs and Eldar and the rest of them used to be. Um, I can't even think of any books that feature her predominantly as their character, unfortunately, other than she's in the, the codexes. Uh, the next warlord is Colonel Straken. Straken is your stereotypical Vietnam sergeant from you know the American military back during the Vietnam War. He's tough as brass. He doesn't take crap off of anybody. He will follow orders to a point. He curses, he swears, he grumbles, he fights and he's very much an upfront leader. He's right out there in the front with the troops. He doesn't sit behind the command bunker waiting for the rest of them to, you know, die. He just takes all the glory or whatever. He's not like that. He's he's very much, you know, leave no man behind. There's a short story that I read that I think is called Silent Death or Marching Death. I'll have to look that up sometime. Um, where it's basically him dragging the body of one of his soldiers back behind the lines after this guy has been practically killed. Um, you can see on Straken himself that he's got a large segment of his body on the right side of him, like his arm and part of his chest and shoulder and everything has been replaced with cybernetics. That's because he was actually bitten by what's called a mural land shark, and he ended up killing it a few moments later, but it took a decent chunk out of him, of course, so he had to have those pieces replaced. Um, he's from the world of Catechin, uh, which we've talked about before on an episode, Catechin's one of the Imperial, or one of the Imperium's death worlds, so it's not really a place where humans necessarily should live. They just happen to live here. And the planet is a jungle world. It's got extremely aggressive flora and fauna. The plants grow super fast, so they're constantly having to burn them back from their settlements with flamers and other stuff like that just to keep the plants from getting into their their settlements. Uh, most of the plants are poisonous or like, you know, giant Venus fly traps where they'll eat you and suck out your blood. Like it's not a place you'd want to live. Um, but a world like that where learning to survive is what you learn practically before you learn to walk does of course lead to some very good soldiers. So the catechins tend to provide a number of regiments to the Astra Militarum. Um, you can read more about Straken in any of the codexes for the Imperial Guard or now the Astra Militarum, I'm pretty sure he's been in most, if not all of them. I can't speak for sure of the 7th edition codexes because I don't own that one, unfortunately. But it would surprise me if he ended up dropped. He's a very popular character. And he's, of course, very popular with his troops, too, because, you know, like I said, he doesn't leave anyone behind. And he's up front with them, both in speaking to them and during battle. So they know he's a reliable, dependable commander. Nazdrig is the orc warlord we got. Nazdrig is your stereotypical Bad Moon clan orc. Now what I mean by that is the Bad Moons are one of the six clans of the orcs. They're the ones that are the richest. So they're all about what they have. You know, look at me in my shiny yellow mega knob armor with my giant custom shooter that I had built by my team of 16 expert mechanics. Stuff like that. They're very much... They're ostentatious. They're all about show and stuff like that, which is why their armor is yellow. Because you know, it's like you know, look at me. Um, the bad moons are rich because of the fact that their teeth grow back faster than other orcs due to a particular mutation that they have. They happen to just grow their teeth faster, so they never lack in money. Because as I've said before, orcs use teeth as currency. So Nazdreg is one of the two, at least in my mind 
biggest of the warlords that the orcs actually have, the other one being Gazgol himself. And Gazgol and Nazdrak actually worked together for a while during the invasion of uh, Armageddon, which Gazgol is famous for invading twice now. So they allied temporarily, and then, of course, that fell apart because, you know, orcs being orcs, they couldn't really get along. So what ended up happening was Nazdrak then went on his own and kind of had a few battles of his own. He's uh, He invaded a world called Piscina IV, which was part of a fairly big uh, campaign or battle report, as I recall, back during the earlier days of Warhammer 40,000, uh, wherein he was testing a, a teleportation device, actually, and fought the Dark Angels. He is also the orc warlord that led the orc contingent of the Medusa V campaign. Medusa V campaign was a campaign that Warmer, or, or Games Workshop did for Warhammer 40,000 during 5th edition. This is back when I used to play. And they uh, they essentially had this world called Medusa V that was they created essentially to destroy. Uh, it was about to become engulfed by a warp storm, but for various reasons, all the armies within Warhammer 40,000 had forces there who were fighting for various reasons, which were decided throughout the campaign. And all the results were all put together, and then it was all done like just uh, all the results came in from all the players throughout the world, and then whoever had the most wins or achieved the most objectives ended up winning. Anyway, so Nasdrake led this. He came to the world aboard his Space Hulk that he controlled. Uh, he actually had engines installed that gave him a modicum of control, so it wasn't just a Space Hulk just kind of fluttering wherever it wanted to throughout the galaxy and the warp and stuff. It had some control. And his Space Hulk is called Scylla by the Imperium. Uh, it's common in Imperium records to name any large foreign objects as well as things like the Tyranid High Fleets after beasts of myth, like monsters and stuff like that. So like you've got Tyranid High Fleets like Behemoth and Leviathan and Kraken and, you know, the uh, Nazarek ship itself was called Scylla after the the monster from Greek mythology from the uh, Ulysses, stuff like that. So it's very common that they use various monsters. Uh, you know, there's another high fleet called Garm. Garm is a monster from Norse mythology. So Scylla actually ended up crashing on Medusa V, and after fighting during the battle and realizing this planet was going to be lost to the warp, Nazdrak ended up commandeering an Imperial transport and used that to get away and then board another Imperial ship by tricking them. And his current whereabouts, from what I've been able to ascertain, and he's, he's not, it's unknown. He, no one knows where he is right now, so he's not active in the Warm 40,000 universe currently. Um, you can read about Nazdrak in any of the codexes. He's been there since back in 2nd edition when I originally started playing, and I remember reading about him in that codex. Um, he's, as I've said earlier, he, he, well, as you can probably tell, is that he's very cunning. He's smart. He's almost... He's considered to be very smart and very cunning for an orc. Okay, so that's a very, very brief little bit about the last three warlords. Like I said, I didn't want to give too, too much detail about any of the warlords. I know it was requested, and I'm more than happy to fulfill any fan request, but I don't want to give too much away for those people who do decide to get further into the lore, read some of the books, listen to the audio dramas and stuff like that. So, again, if you're interested in any of that stuff, visit Black Library. And, you know, just start digging. They have so many books and everything else that you can find. They have entire audio books that are entirely, un like, unabridged, just read right to you as if you were listening to somebody reading right in front of you. They've got a lot of short stories. Uh, they've got some short audio dramas, stuff like that, that, you know, like about a half hour or so. So lots of stuff, lots of different things you can listen to. 
I personally like listening to the audio dramas when I'm driving for you know more than a half hour or so. I listened to two audio dramas last night on my way home uh, while my family was all asleep in the vehicle. I listened to one that was called Hunter's Moon, which is a Horace Heresy one about the Space Wolves and Alpha Legion. And the other one I listened to was Thief of Revelations, which is about the Thousand Suns after they were driven out of Prospero and ended up in the warp on the planet of sorcerers. Uh, so well, in the last week, I finished reading the, one of the Sanctus Reads books called Maledictus. It's, the Sanctus Reads books, as we've said before, are all about an orc invasion, um, but Maledictus involves some gray knights and chaos and stuff like that, so it's a bit of a... It, it takes place at the same time. It still involves the orcs, of course, too, because this is entirely an orc invasion, but it just happens to be a bit of these other forces involved in things. It was very, very good. And it also had, I've read, um, Zero Sum 30. It was an Adeptus Mechanicus short story that has a relation to the Adeptus Mechanicus trilogy that actually just uh, finished with its third book. So it, it's kind of like, it's almost like a prequel to that from what I can gather. I haven't read the trilogy itself yet, but I'll be doing that soon as I get the entire trilogy, uh, which you can currently get a discount on Black Library because they've finished releasing it. So you can get a de- decent chunk off of the price if you buy all three books all together. So... All that being said, if anyone's ever got any more fan requests, we're more than happy to take all of them. Um, you can you know, message us through our Facebook page. You can leave a message on our Facebook page wall. You can also message any of us on CardGameDB. Uh, I'm there. I am Talktimish. I'm very easy to find, particularly in the Warmer 40,000 boards, because I am one of the two moderators for the site. Um, for those the Warmer 40,000 general discussion as well as the rules discussion and i am also the one of the two conquest rules arbitrators so i answer all the rule well not all but answer a lot of the rules questions on the site uh patrick does more than his fair share as well and we always have a few other players who jump in and answer questions too so if you've ever got any rules questions i highly recommend the repository that we're developing on cardgamedb your questions probably honestly already been asked so all i gotta do is just kind of scan through everything and what we're doing there is we're actually marking the correct answer as the best answer. And it will appear at the very top in green for that question when you open that thread. So you get your answer right away. Uh, so hopefully that everyone's finding that to be a really useful resource. Um, you can also message Charles on CardGameDB. He's BuzzsawMF. And you can message Nate, who's simply enough Nate. And as always, you can email us at our Gmail account, which is AdeptusPodcasts at gmail.com. Um, we're hoping in next week, uh, so you know, it's probably around the same time that you'll hear this episode, that we're going to try and get some people together who might be attending Worlds and stuff like that, and we're going to kind of do a predictions episode, you could say. A lot of podcasts tend to do this when it comes to like, the big final events of the competitive season for the LCGs as well as other gaming, of course, too. So we're just kind of going to get on, talk. Think about what we might see, what kind of decks to expect, and you know maybe make some predictions. And then a week or so later, um, probably around November the 11th, because it's a holiday for me, so it'll be a little bit easier for us all to meet during the middle of the week when it's a, a holiday. Uh, we're going to kind of break down what happened at Worlds, because we'll have all the information by then, and just kind of seeing you know, how wrong were we in all of our guesses. So until then, blood for the blood god.